going to be reading 1 Peter chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power for ever and ever. Amen. Thank you so much, Neri, for reading. My name's Morris. I'm one of the leaders of the church here. I'm going to help us look at those words from the Bible for the next few minutes. Before we do that, let's pray together. We thank you, Heavenly Father, so much for uh, the words that you give us, which are words of life and joy and truth, and also challenge, calling us on to be more. And we thank you for Jesus, that he's good news for everyone, and this is a good news family. And we pray today you would give us, by your spirit, uh, joy in that amazing news about Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Got to say, uh, the interns have developed like an extra dance version of the actions to that kids' song that they were doing. They were doing it at the back, but I think it should be for the front next week, guys. So <laughs> let's do that uh, later. Here is someone who, in our family, is a bit of a hero to us all, Andy Murray, the first uh, British men's Wimbledon champion for many, many years. Uh, we love Andy Murray in our house, and uh, we love him because he. Uh, does a very hard thing, but he's very, very gracious about it. I don't know whether you've ever noticed, Andy Murray, lots of tennis players do this actually. When Andy wins, when he won Wimbledon, he said two things. He first of all talked about someone who had inspired him to want to be a good tennis player. He said, I had that hero and I wanted to be like them. And the second thing he says was, this victory isn't just my victory, it's a victory for my team, and I couldn't have done it without them. So he spent his life choosing something that's hard, that he doesn't need to choose, and he does it, one, because he's inspired by his hero, and two, for the sake of his team. Well, we have been reading this letter from someone called Peter, who was one of Jesus' first disciples, and he's written this letter to a whole lot of people in the ancient world who've become Christians. They've trusted Jesus, and they're the first people to do that um, in the world, really. Christianity is new to the world. And Peter has said to them, listen, if you trust Jesus, if there 
culture world that doesn't trust him. And remember, Christianity was this totally new thing. If you trust Jesus there, you're going to feel a bit like an alien or a foreigner or a stranger some of the time. But he has been saying, even if you feel like that, you must not run away and hide. You mustn't run away now from your family or your community into some sort of strange religious bubble. You must keep living distinctively and you must stay close to people who don't know Jesus and think that's really strange. You need to do both things. And yes, that means people will reject you. They might sometimes hurt you. So the Christian way of engaging with the world is to persist in repaying evil done towards you with good towards people who dislike you. That is what Christians do. We're studying 1 Peter because this term, this year in our church, we're thinking about connecting with the world. That is the way Christians connect with the world when they're obeying Jesus. We don't blend in, do the same as everybody else. We don't hide. We accept that being close and being distinctive will mean rejection some of the time, but we continue to do good for people who don't like us. But Peter has been saying that is hard to do. It's not easy to live that way. It is a good but hard thing to aim for. Why do the hard thing? Well, he's been very clear. We don't do the hard thing to impress God. So God thinks that we've done enough. He's been very clear that Jesus has done enough to bring all of us to God. So we don't do it to get God's credit and favour. That's not in doubt. Well, here in 1 Peter 4, he's going to say two things that are really like Andy Murray type things. He's going to say, one, there's a hero you want to be like. And two, there's a team on your side. So we're going to see both those things today. Here's the first one. We choose rejection because of Jesus, our hero. What Jesus was up to. Who was this first century homeless preacher who has somehow since changed the face of world history? He was very much in the process of doing that, the early days when Peter was writing. We have even more reason to believe that Jesus was significant than him. What was he up to, Jesus, when he appeared to be falsely accused and died young? What was happening when his first followers claimed that he came back to life? Well, we saw it last week. Peter said Jesus was perfect. He died, therefore, for people like us who are imperfect. He took their wrongs, our wrongs, on himself by dying in our place to bring us to God. So becoming a Christian is not so much about changing our behaviour although it will involve that. It's first and foremost about seeing that truth about Jesus, trusting him, coming to know that Jesus dying for you, taking the weight for what you have done wrong, is the best thing that's ever happened, the best thing anyone ever did. Well, though, a few weeks ago, Josh showed this picture. I want to be clear, in case there's a social worker in the room, that it's not one of my children. 
if one of my children was doing that in the end of the bed, I wouldn't be taking a photo of it. There you go. Everybody does different things. Uh, what is a child seeing Spider-Man, and he so admires Spider-Man, he wants to be like him. Well, Peter has been saying that all the way through about Jesus. If you really believe you're totally right with God, through Jesus carrying the weight of what you have done wrong, and you love that about Jesus, you worship him for that, you'll want to be like him by carrying the weight of stuff that other people get wrong. Here he says in verse 1, you'll need to arm yourself with the attitude of Jesus. The attitude of Jesus that said, it's better to do good even if you're treated unfairly, it's better to carry the weight of other people's wrong stuff. It's better to do that than sin and hurt other people. And he says you need to arm yourself with the attitude. If you're going to live as a Christian in this world, you've got to adopt and think through and prepare yourself that that's what it's going to be like and take the attitude to people. I guess that's where this picture doesn't really work. There's no cost to being Spider-Man. I mean, unless you fall off the end of the bed because uh, you're not Spider-Man. It's easy to see Spider-Man and admire him and want to be like him. It's a game. But being like Jesus means that people think you're odd. They're surprised, Peter says, that you don't think, think do the things that they do. In fact, he says, sometimes people in verse 4 will heap abuse on you just for walking through the world trying to live the right way before copying Jesus. Sometimes people will hate that, so you're going to need to arm yourself with Jesus' attitude. Know Jesus took your wrongs on himself and arm yourself. Really know with the attitude that is the best way to live. Peter here, I think, is trying to be, is being encouraging. He says in verse 1, uh, if you have this attitude, if you suffer for that reason, then you're finished with sin. What he's saying there is, if that's the pattern of your life, if you're continually choosing what's tough instead of what gives you instant pleasure, if you really live and think that it's better to be rejected and to suffer than to sin, to do things wrong... That is evidence that something changes happened in you. It's not the type of thing that people normally do. It doesn't mean you're finished sinning ever. You're perfect now. He's just saying you've done with that way of life of putting yourself first. If your pattern is that you're choosing the hard thing because you want to be like Jesus. If you choose the hard but right over easy but wrong, because you love Jesus and want to be like him, great. You're done with sin. You're living a different way now. I grew up in a fairly conservative uh, Christian, straight-laced family and background. And I remember reading verse 3, which says, you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do. And I remember hearing that in my youth group and thinking, hmm, have I spent enough time doing those things? <laughs> I'm not sure I've spent enough time doing what the pagans do. Maybe what this is saying is 
you need a bit of time with some debauchery. So then afterwards you can say, I've had enough time with that. Maybe if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you find this verse quite judgmental about you. How dare the Bible say that our choices to seek pleasure are bad and Christians should stop them? It seems like a big moral judgment. Well, here's what helps me. I've been thinking this week to understand about this. Remember Boris Johnson and his Downing Street parties? I know we've tried to put it behind us now. But remember that time in our lives and it emerged that some people were engaging in the type of Peter, that behaviour Peter described debauchery, drunkenness, carousing. And that was their choice, while the rest of us weren't allowed to see our families or go outside our houses or whatever it is. Why were we all so infuriated? Because they were just making their own choices, doing what they wanted to do. We were infuriated because we have a sense that even though I would like to just do what I want, other people should serve and put others first. It's very bad if they don't do that. You know, me and my youth group, I should be allowed a bit of debauchery if I want it, but no, not those people over there who are in Downing Street. Many modern people are in this strange place, like the pagans in Peter's letter. It's not a very sort of coherent, put-together view of the world. I should be allowed to do what I want, but I want the world to run like other people will serve and take responsibility and do what's right. I say I should be free, but I don't want everyone else to be free, because that would like mess it up for me. And actually, you find when people say they have that type of freedom, I throw off everybody's expectations, I just do what I like. In fact, we usually live in fear of being judged by others. So Peter is not saying to the 15-year-old me, you know, do a bit of debauchery and then you'll have had enough. He's saying any time choosing sexual immorality or drunkenness or lust, any time doing that is a waste. It's enough. Because you can't have, I'm allowed to behave this way, but I don't want the world where everyone behaves that way. Any choice to do that is participating in the world we don't want, where people please themselves, while others suffer. And we really realised we didn't want that when it turned out the highest people in the land were doing it. Rather, he's saying, if you know God, you know from God that you are loved and accepted by, and you worship Jesus, choose serving others to be Jesus-like. Any time spent on putting your desires first is wasted time. Just to be clear as well, this is a Jesus thing, not a shame thing. Sometimes when people uh, see a list like this in the Bible, they fear that what's going to happen is they do some type of this behaviour and people in this community are going to shame them. Tell them off. Make them feel bad. Maybe that's how you're feeling even listening to this this morning. And we hate being judged. Rightly, I think. But did you notice what Peter says? Is that this is not at all about impressing other people. It's a Jesus thing. 
verse 5, but they will have to give account to him, Jesus, who is ready to judge the living and the dead. This is not a recommendation to be very worried about what other Christians think of your life. That is a stupid way to live. It's a recommendation to say, believe that one day there is only one person who will be qualified to make judgments about your life and live towards him. That's why we might choose to not do the things that our desires lead us to do. And Peter says as well, that's why the gospel, the message about Jesus, was brought to Christians you used to know but who have now died. I think in verse, uh, what verse is that? Verse 6. He's probably talking about Christians they knew who'd been martyred, who'd been killed for their faith. They were judged according to human standards, Peter says, to the point that people hated them, but they are as alive as they can be now with Jesus. They model to you what you want all the time. But being like Jesus is better. Because look at them now. They're alive with him. That's the way to look at the world if people hate you for being different. If you think, mm, well, no, maybe I do need just a bit more time doing what everybody else does. Because I miss that. The only opinion that matters is Jesus. Our hero. And he gave himself away for us. And the Christians who went before us, who are now with Jesus, they made those choices. I'm forever peppered with these social media type adverts or posts or whatever they are. This is just an example of the type of theme that comes. Uh, UBU. Uh, what I have just said, I realise, is therefore, in our time and place, very controversial. Uh, UBU is saying, you're only accountable to yourself. And I'm saying something totally different to that. And saying, there is only one person we're accountable to, and it's not you. It's Jesus who is outside of us all. So I realise what I'm saying is not the normal thing that people are posting on social media. Of course, I love the fact this on social media and then check how many likes they have got. It's not you being you, is it? We think we're choosing individual freedom, but in fact what we're choosing is replacing accountability to Jesus who loves and serves us and wants to forgive us. We replace him with the horrible God of other people's opinion, which is never enough or satisfying. And so Jesus is offering us here a way out of selfishness, of thinking of self, which actually only ever leads us to worry about what other people are thinking of us. He says, choose a different path where you know God, through Jesus, carries your weight for you. And you love that. You love him for being like that. And so you uh, stay close do to him doing good for people who reject you when you're near them. You don't plunge into the selfishness that they recommend. No, you say, listen, my, my only judge is Jesus, not you. I want to do what's right before him. 
And I'm going to look at the models, the people who have died, who knew the gospel, who showed this to me, who are now with Jesus. I'm not going to be judged by human standards. It sounds hard what he's asking them to do. Arm yourself with the attitude of Christ. It is freedom. Freedom from worrying. What anyone thinks of you. Except Jesus. He died for your sins. Later on in the service today, we are going to welcome and pray for Winnie and Elise to our church family. And we are going to pray this life for them. We are going to say, you know, you could get the reward of people liking you if you live in the ways that others approve of. You could be yourself and do whatever you want. But we think you're called to a life where we see Jesus. You see Jesus bearing your sin for you, and so you bear the weight of other people's wrong for them. Like these Christians in 1 Peter, Winnie and Elise both have a great heritage of people who've gone before them who have lived that way. There are lots of people here, I guess, who have the option of hiding in a little bubble or plunging into the same way of living as everyone around them. If that's you, arm yourself this morning with the attitude of Jesus. If you really think the best thing that ever happened was that Jesus suffered in the place of others, arm yourself with that attitude. Peter says the end of all things is near. I think what he's saying there is time passes quickly, whether it's passing quickly to Jesus returning in our lifetime and judging the world, or whether it's just that life passes quickly. And given that, Peter's advice is, keep a clear head and pray a lot. I like that as practical advice. Maybe you think, I do believe in Jesus, but I'm drawn into this selfish way of life again and again. I plunge into the things that other people are offering me instead. That's a snare to me. I walk towards it instead of away. Peter's saying, okay, here's a way to teach yourself out of that. Just think about how quickly time goes. Is that the life you want to spend? And really, it is hard. I get that it's hard. So keep a clear mind so you can pray a lot. And if that's you, there's lots of people here in this church who would love to help you keep a clear head and pray. So we choose rejection because of Jesus, our hero. Second thing that we see... Oh, my thing stopped working. There we go. We choose practical love because of our team. Remember the athlete, Andy Murray, inspired by his hero and could have done it without his team. That is what Peter is saying here. Above all, he says in verse 8, that means this is very important. Above all, love each other deeply. Above all, form a deep, real, emotional, practical love for your team, which if this is your church, is the people here now. And if it's not your church, it's the people you are in your church. That love, he says, covers over a multitude of sins. I don't think he's saying that love will hide things that are wrong. I don't think it means, oh, if I love someone, I'll never mention the bad things that they've done. In fact, I think it's the opposite of that. I think he's saying if we love each other deeply... Bad stuff can be sorted out. 
If someone is getting something really wrong, it is very difficult for that person to be confronted if they have no deep relationships with anybody in their church. But if we work hard at building that deep love for one another, well then if someone is repaying evil for evil or hiding from the world or plunging into the wrong way of living, it can be talked about by people who love them, not people who are threatening or against them. We walk in and out. If we walk in and out to church without ever building deep love with anybody, sometimes it's because we know if we had those type of relationships, people would be able to help us deal with our sin. He also talks very practically, Peter. He says, offer hospitality without grumbling. Now, I could preach a whole talk just on that verse, but I'm not going to, don't worry. We are getting through this. Many people in churches don't offer hospitality at all. Now, just to be clear about hospitality, we don't just mean like having a home and having people in it. Although, if you have a home where that can happen, that is really a great way to do hospitality. It's offering welcome and inclusion in your life for other people, however you can do that. There are those people in Christian circles who never do that for anybody. And in my experience, they are often the people who are likely to drift into hiding from the world or plunge into evil like the people around them, becoming the same as everyone else around them. There's something about making room for other Christians without complaining about it that encourages us to live more for Jesus, that teaches us to do that. You know, uh, one thing that people do here at Christchurch around Christmas time is offer hospitality to guests, often from other parts of the world, um, on, at Christmas. Now, I'm not telling you that to say, yeah, go us, we are really great. Um, I do want to tell you that when we have done that, my family, we've done that at Christmas, and people have said to us, oh, well done you for doing that, as if it's some great trial. I will tell you, doing that has been good for us. It's been a blessing to do it. Learning to shape our family traditions around people from other cultures helps us learn to do the Jesus-like thing in all of life, serving other people. And honestly, the people who've come and gone from our table have taught us more about following Jesus than probably we've ever learned in church services. But let me underline, this is not just about having a home, although if you have a home that you can do hospitality in, you should use it this way. That's what he's saying, but not everybody has that. He's really saying a self-contained life where you don't warmly welcome other Christians in is probably a life where you tend to drift into behaving unchristianly in the world. Without grumbling. Just to be clear about without grumbling. I don't want anyone to go out to say and say, well, the pastor said I better take someone in, so I'm annoyed, I have to. I think if you take that attitude, you probably won't learn much about loving people, and you won't learn much from the people who come. So Peter would say, please do host a welcome meal for people from church. Uh, see what you learn, but please do not moan about it afterwards, even if they're rude, if they don't like your food, whatever it is. In fact, Peter says, everyone has a grace from God, something that God has given them that other people can benefit from. 
And so he says, whatever you can do, it's given by God for you to steward and look after for the benefit of other people. I just want to pause there and say, that is really true for everyone here who's a Christian. I know there are people who feel like, oh, everybody here seems very sorted out and they seem able to help, but I don't really think there's anything I can get to offer. One, that's just not true about these people in this church. We're not all sorted out, believe me, I know them. I've got stories I could tell. Uh, Don't worry, I'm not going to. But that's not true. But the second thing is to say that's just theologically incorrect. The Bible says you have something God has given you to steward for the benefit of the other people here. And he actually says when you do that thing, when you speak or when you serve, we should assume as Christians that God himself is working through us when we do that. The biggest uh, growing part of Christianity in the world, there we go, is Pentecostal Christianity, which highly emphasizes that every person, this is the truth, but they really emphasize it in Pentecostal Christianity, every Christian is filled with God's spirit. And every Christian can speak God's word. And every Christian can be empowered to serve God. It's something we all believe, but Pentecostal Christians really emphasize that. It's not surprising, therefore, that Pentecostal Christianity is most growing amongst the poor and rejected and where Christians are marginalized, because that is how church should function in this day. In the world, we carry the weight of rejection and hatred and oftentimes just feeling ill at ease and out of place and like we don't belong there. But in the church family, here today, even as you speak a word of encouragement to someone as we drink coffee together, that's God speaking. In this family, even if you lift a chair at the end of the service to help tidy up, that's God working. This team, this family matters so much to God that any word you say, anything you do to serve, God gives his dignity, his strength, his significance to it. Now, of course, there is a chance that you can just use serving Christians as a way to hide from the world. Of course, there is a chance that you can fill your lives up with serving Christians as a way to hide from people who aren't Christians. There are people like that. Their life is so full of church activities that they don't actually know anybody who isn't a Christian. Just say, I was discussing this with someone not that long ago, well, a few years ago now, someone who's not in church anymore. And they'd become a Christian as an adult, and they said to me, I'm so much busier now that I'm a Christian, I hardly see my friends and family who weren't Christians. I thought, it's not great. It's definitely not what 1 Peter is describing. So we talked about that a bit. And when we dug at that a bit, what she was actually saying was this. I'm making myself busy with Christian stuff because the way the people I know who aren't Christians behave now, that makes me feel very uncomfortable when I'm with them. Here with you, we all share the same worldview, the same mission. We're on the same path. There are people who could be doing that today. People who say, you know, I always went to Christian Union instead of playing football. 
because they weren't that nice on the football team. There are people who do that. But more often, the people that I have been encouraged by in my Christian life to deeply engage with the world, those people love Christians deeply. They're doing both. They're in the habit of welcoming others into their home or their family life. They really think serving people in the church is significant, and that is, I don't know, building their team so they have the strength to be embedded in life outside church in a productive way that points people to Jesus. One way to think of it is that church is sort of practice. One of the things about being here is like we all have to forgive each other. Says that direct command. We have to do it. If you're a Christian, get things wrong here, we're going to forgive you. Jesus says we've got to do it. Says it in 1 Peter. It's a good place to practice trying to do things like Jesus. If you get it wrong, well, we'll have to forgive you. Then when you get out in the world and you can live that way, like the athlete, you'll be able to say, yeah, this is hard, but I can do it because I've had a lot of help from my team. There are people who, I guess, don't really know anybody in their church and don't try. People who consider it's other people's job to be hospitable to them. People who don't serve other Christians formally or informally. In my experience, and I'm sorry to generalise, but it is my experience, those are all of, also the people who spend evenings on the internet, you know, hiding from relationships with anyone, Christian or not. And if they are with people who are not Christians, they just float into speaking how they speak, living how they live, because they're not in the team. Peter is saying, if you're someone who loves deeply in Christian relationships, if you naturally, without thinking, offer hospitality, if you see speaking to other Christians here as a way of God helping them, serving other Christians as a way of God working in you, then you're building a team, a base, a place to practice that will propel you into loving and serving in the world. And in our church, I see loads and loads of people like that So thank you for teaching me. Anytime I get this right, I feel like I should be saying, yeah, it's thanks to my team. In description of people who are like that, who both have deep relationships and are propelled into the world, I would include the Probert family, who we are going to be thinking about and praying for later today. As a family, they are already a model of this, endlessly loving and serving and showing hospitality, and also well, so well established here that they're ready to face all the ups and downs of serving people outside the church. Later, when we pray for Winnie and Elise, we will be praying for them as a family, their team. And we will be saying to them, guys, we're with you. We want to love you deeply enough that difficult things that we get wrong and you get wrong, they can be sorted out. We want to offer them hospitality, welcoming these children into our lives is a natural, normal thing to do. We want to speak words that point them to God. And we want to hear words from them that point us to God. Sometimes uh, my kids are, my oldest child is just about to become a young teenager, 
Sometimes people older than me say, oh, I'd hate to be a parent now. So challenging what children face in this generation. I'm not sure about that. I think it's easy to think that the past has always been better. But it is true that our nation seems to be somewhat moving out from under the protection of a Christian view of the world into more of a world where selfishness is honoured and celebrated. And I guess that probably is a scary world for our kids to grow up in. But we're not going to tell our kids to hide. We're going to tell them to be so plugged in to being loved and welcoming and speaking and serving here that with the help of your whole team you can live in that world like Jesus. That will be with the help of the whole team and that will be a victory for the whole team when it happens. Let's pray. Arm yourselves with the same attitude of Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, our amazing hero. And we thank you, even though we get so much wrong, we thank you for this team we're in, where deep love is covering over a multitude of sins. And we pray that this place, this family, these relationships will both teach us and strengthen us to walk like Jesus in the world, even when people treat us badly. And we thank you, the Lord Jesus, who loved us and gave himself for us. He is the only one who will, has the right to make any judgment on us. We ask for the help of your spirit to live in that freedom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.